0: Dear Father in heaven, you've promised in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 16 to bring the blind by a way that they knew not, to lead us in paths that we've not known, to make darkness light before us, to make crooked things straight, and not to forsake us. We come asking for the fulfillment of this beautiful promise. We believe because it's impossible for God to lie. And since this promise contains the gift that is promised, we thank you that we have received and will realize it as we answer these questions in thy lovely name. Amen. Amen. All right, Jim, the first question. What if
1: you aren't sure your mate is having an affair? You're suspicious.
0: If you're not sure that the mate is having an affair and yet you are suspicious, Don't give vent to that suspiciousness. The Bible says in Romans 14, 23, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So every time that we speak suspiciously, suspicion and doubt have a tendency to create the very evil that they seek to prevent. Therefore, if this individual who wrote this question isn't sure, but has uh, some suspicions based on certain things that they've seen transpiring, then they should immediately put into effect these seven secrets that we've just shared together, you see. They should talk faith, because if this mate is now being tempted, the stronger mate that is praying that they will not lose their spouse should talk faith. Talk faith to the spouse open God's promises and claim God's promises that he will give strength to the spouse. Talking faith, talking hope, and reflecting love is the most potent remedy that they can bring. So every one of these seven secrets, Jim, that we discussed, this mate will put into effect when the mate isn't sure about the spouse. Because if these, if Christ can use these seven secrets, even after the spouse is infatuated, what can happen before they're fully infatuated, you see? Mm -hmm. The thing that will cure will certainly prevent. So the mate should be very, very careful, very prayerful, saying, Oh God, keep me from speaking a word of doubt. Keep me from the first suspicious remark, you see. Help me to just be used as this drawing magnet at this time when I'm not sure where I stand and I'm not sure where my mate stands.
1: We'll continue this question just one step further uh, and deal with jealousy. What if your suspicions are just within yourself and it's what is called jealousy? What
0: do you do with that? That is a good question. There are two forms of jealousy. There is proper jealousy and there's improper jealousy. God says, I am a jealous God. Surely that is an improper jealousy. God wants us to make him the only God. And he said, don't have any other gods before me. I'm a jealous God. So there is a proper jealousy. That's not suspicion, you see. That's not the kind of jealousy that's based on on, uh, uh, inferiority or lack of security, you see. God isn't isn't, uh, filled with insecurity. It's based on ownership. So there is a jealousy which has a right to say, you belong to me. For instance, speaking myself now, I belong to only one woman in all the world, and that's Ethel Kuhn. She has a right to me in a way that no other woman in all the world has a right to me. Yet, I'm a minister, and in another sense, I belong to the world. So to properly balance my service to the world, and yet to reserve myself, in the way that I should to my wife, she has a right to be jealous for me and of me because I belong to her. I do not belong to anyone else. Therefore, at any point at which my relationship with someone else overlaps my proper relationship with my wife, she has a right to say, honey, I know you didn't mean anything by it, so that's not suspicion, see? I know you didn't mean anything by it, but you belong to me. and then i have no right to say but honey listen you're suspicious no no you belong to me <laughs> you don't belong to her you belong to me and the thing that you did with her is not proper as long as you're married to me that is proper jealousy there's another jealousy which really is a form of suspicion and any time that i shake hands with any lady my wife if my wife said I think I saw you smiling at her in a special way. That's out of place. See, Mm -hmm. She trusts me implicitly. Never once in my married life has my wife ever said to me, my, 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 I saw you smile at that woman. Never once. Never once has she said, look, I think you're a little out of place with that. Never once. That could be suspicion. But I belong to Ethel Kuhn. And she has a right to claim me as hers. In a way, no other woman in all the world. And I have no right to retaliate against that proper jealousy.
1: Okay. The second question (coughs) is, what are you going to do when she has repeatedly (coughs) promised
0: she is through but never is? First of all, let us diagnose human nature. It is possible for a person to believe that she is through to really believe it, and yet not be through. I'm thinking of many individuals who have tried to overcome the tobacco habit. I've gone to visit them, and they've said, Pastor, I am absolutely through with tobacco. I am through with my cigarettes. I shall never, you never need to worry, I shall never smoke another cigarette. Before the day was ended, they smoked another cigarette. They were sincere in believing that they're through, because temptation comes like a flood. The Bible says, when the tempter shall come in like a flood, it comes in waves. All forms of temptation come in in waves. Sex infatuation comes in waves. Cigarette infatuation comes in waves. Temper comes in waves, and an individual can be perfectly sincere. Believe with all his heart that he's through. But he's not studied the fact that a temptation can come within two hours in a wave. Therefore, the thing to share with her is to say, I believe every word of it. That's faith. That's one of the seven secrets. I believe every word of it. But since you're a human being, when the next wave strikes, God says in many places to stay away from any situation where the wave will wash you right in to defeat. For instance, she says, I'm through. She means it. You say, I believe you're sincere. Don't ever call this man on the telephone. Don't even call him on the telephone. Why? Because temptation comes in waves. And when you hear that voice on the telephone and you're ever so sincere, that wave can wash you right to that home. And you mean the very best your sincerest can be. So she will say, I believe in you. I believe in your sincerity. I love you. I believe... Or he will tell her that. I love you. But you're a human being, as I'm a human being. So we have to put ourselves outside of the strength of that wave. That's why he said, lead us not into temptation. We must stay away from that magnetic field. As we stay away from the magnetic field, when that gust comes, it doesn't shove us right in the other person's arms. We must not even... Talk to them on the telephone. Do nothing that places us within the power of that wave that washes us right in the other person's arms.
1: Okay. Do you believe a person can or should be responsible for another person?
0: Yes and no. (laughs) What does the Bible teach? The Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? He said, Lord, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, in effect, yes, you are your brother's keeper. There is a degree of responsibility that we have to everyone. In other words, I'm responsible, of course, to my children, but since we're discussing now mates. I am responsible for the other individual in this respect. I'm responsible for doing everything that I can to help this woman by talking faith. I'm responsible to talk faith. That's my responsibility. I'm responsible to be humble. That is my responsibility to my mate. I'm also responsible if my mate has tumbled again and again as as this woman evidently had. I'm now responsible as a spouse to her to say, now, I believe in you, I trust you, I love you, but this is important. I am responsible that you not put yourself in that position where the wave will sweep you. In that sense, I am responsible. I am my brother's keeper, very definitely. How can a person overcome
1: improper, improper suspicion and jealousy?
0: There are two ways that a person can overcome suspicion and jealousy. Now, when we say jealousy, false jealousy. Yes. How can a person overcome jealousy? The way he overcomes jealousy is, first of all, jealousy, the false jealousy comes through through insecurity. This false jealousy means I'm insecure and I'm so afraid I'm going to lose you, you see, and I need you. I must have you. Insecurity is the basis of the false jealousy. Therefore, I must... I must major in the first of the seven secrets, which is Jesus. When I come to Christ, I can claim a promise like this. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. You know what that says? That says, Lord Jesus, I am your princess or I'm your prince. Since we're talking about the lady as being the infatuated one and the husband wants to overcome jealousy and suspicion, the husband will say, Lord, I'm your son. I'm your child. I'm totally your child. Now, if I am God's child and I fully recognize it, the insecurity will gradually pass away. I think of a young lady that came to us. She felt very inferior, extremely inferior. And I read to her, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. I said, you're a princess. The Bible says you're God's child. You're a princess. Since you are a princess, you don't need to feel insecure or inferior at all. Through Jesus Christ, you are the princess of God. And we talked together for perhaps an hour. A few days later, maybe two or three weeks later, we received a letter from this young lady. And she signed it a princess. She said, I no longer have this feeling of insecurity. Remember, the jealousy can spring from insecurity. The suspicion can spring from insecurity also. A man was jealous of his wife. She had never been untrue. He kept picking at her and picking at her and picking at her and accusing her. She finally went to a counselor She said, why in the world would my husband do a thing like that? And the counselor said, I'm not sure. But he said, you know, it could be because he has been unfaithful. And that's Matthew 7, 1 to 5. Thou that judgest another, you see, (laughs) you're guilty. Romans 2, 1. He said, if you could get your husband to come in and see me, we might find whether this is the basis. He is suspicious of you because he cannot trust himself. The husband was persuaded to come in. Inside of 30 minutes, the husband confessed that he himself had been unfaithful. This was the basis of his insecurity, do you see? Now, therefore, that's a good question. If I realize... Go ahead. They would like to know
1: specifically, maybe in claiming a promise, what promise or how would you claim a promise to overcome.
0: I would claim the promise of the one I gave, 1 John 3, 1 to 3. And then I would claim Philippians 2, uh, 13. I would ask God to work in me both to will and to do, to trust Him, to trust that I am His prince and that I don't have to be suspicious of my wife anymore. Now, that's one thing. Another thing is, (laughs) if she is showing proof that she's infatuated, then it's not suspicion, you see. Uh, Jim, I haven't been watching to see how much time we have left. Have you uh, any idea how many minutes we have left for this question? I hope we have time for and, two more questions. And answer service. I think we do. Let's, let's deal okay, with it. Okay. Well, the next one is,
1: how do we keep our defense, defense mechanism from in, interfering with communications? when we feel we have been wrongly put down consistently. Here's another how-do-we how, how do we question. Right.
0: This is quite similar, friends, to the other question. How can you keep from being jealous and suspicious? But uh, it goes a little broader, I think. Uh, somebody belittles me. How can I keep from putting up my defenses, right? It, you think that's what it's? Is that what you I, I think
1: it? that's what they're referring to when they, they speak of a defense mechanism which is interfering with communications.
0: Now, I'm not sure, Jim, whether this means that this might be the lady who is infatuated. She feels she's gained the victory. Her mate may be belittling her. How can I defend myself now? I, I, I don't know. Now, maybe, but maybe it could be reworded and put It might now. be, but there is a text that is beautiful in this respect. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. It says, Thou wilt keep him, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. There was a 73-year-old lady who came to see me at the close of one of our services. She said that her daughter was so sarcastic, so cutting in her remarks. She said that I, I just suffer almost every hour through the day. She said, Is there some remedy? because it seems I just cannot take it any longer. I said, yes, here's a promise you can claim. Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, God will keep this person in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on the Lord. I said, now, let me share with you how to stay your mind on the Lord, because most of us have never been told how to stay our mind on the Lord. I said, walk your mind over to Palestine. Go back 1,950 years ago or so. Reconstruct one of the miracles of Christ at the very time that your daughter is cutting you up with her remarks. There you are watching Jesus walking along the shores of Galilee. You see a a leper coming down out of the mountains. He's coming right toward Jesus, and and the crowd fall back on both sides and make a path directly to Jesus. And the leper walks, rushes up to Jesus and falls on his knees, and he asks Jesus to cleanse him. And Jesus does. You're thinking about this while your daughter is cutting you all up with her remarks. And God says he'll give you perfect peace. I prayed with her. She went home. About three nights later, the lady came back, and I thought, oh, my. <laughs> She's going to say it doesn't work <laughs> because she didn't work it. The lady's face was radiant. She said, Pastor, there's not one thing that my daughter can tell me anymore that bothers me a bit. I have my mind fixed on Jesus. She'd walked her mind right over to Palestine, following along with Jesus, and it gave her perfect peace. Now, do you notice, friends and Jim, Christianity is the most practical thing in our world. It pays a Christian to be practical and do what the Lord says. This is an encyclopedia, this book. I guess you have another question. What if the wife is always bringing
1: back her old boyfriends or considering going back to them? Would this be considered
0: adultery? Yes, yes. Uh, It may not be the act of adultery, but she is putting herself in the position in which Jesus said for her not to she should make a complete break. She should not even call that man on the telephone. She should not permit him to call her on the telephone. She should actually hang up. We've counseled with people like this, and they actually had the power of the Lord to hang up on this person, even though they had led the other person into sin. And they felt, well, I should be a gentleman. After all, I, I'm more guilty. It isn't a question whether you're more guilty. We have the greatest obligation to the one whose hands were nailed to Calvary for us. And she and he has a right to say to her, no, no, no more boyfriends. And at this point, if she is under the power of God, lived up to these seven secrets, at this point, she has not merely the option, but she has an obligation to put into effect the discipline of love. Many people think love is, is this passive goody-woody. It's not. Love also disciplines. Love that does not discipline is not true love. She then has a right, and I believe a duty at a certain point, which, at which only the Lord can tell her, to say to him, Honey, I love you as you know dearly. I believe in your sincerity. Or, or he says to her, it's the wife that's away. The man has a right to say this to his wife. I, I believe in you with all my heart. But, and I love you, honey, with all my heart but there must be a complete separation. We'll go and see this man, and in my presence, you will tell this individual, don't go to him alone. You're on the devil's ground. We'll go together, and in my presence, you will tell her you never want, you'll tell him you never want him to call you again. If he does, you'll hang up. It isn't that you hate him. And if you don't take this strong position, sister, I tell her, or tell him, it's a man who comes to me, and talks about his wife, we we'll get it mixed up here. If you don't take this strong position, you're not exercising the discipline of love. And you will then say, look, you can't, have, you can't have me, honey, and the other man. And I must serve papers. This is not merely her option, but in many cases, it is God's word, definitely. Hebrews chapter 12 says so. It is God's word. Whom God loves, he chastiseth. I think of a man who was infatuated, his wife was as kind and sweet and loving. She did everything in her power to woo him back. He was as <laughs> careless. Finally, one day, she served the papers on him. That man boarded a plane and came halfway across the continent with sobs, saying to me, what can I do? The discipline of love is very important. When he began to realize that he was going to lose his home, his house, which was full of antiques, <laughs> He liked the antiques too. <laughs> That's right. And when he realized he was not not merely going to lose his wife, he was losing his children, largely. He was losing his home. He was losing his antiques. <laughs> that man was actually sobbing. Will you write to my wife? I wrote her. I did everything I could, but I knew that he needed that discipline of love. The Bible says, unless judgment against an evil work is executed speedily <laughs> it is fully set in men's hearts to do evil god is a god of discipline read again and again hebrews chapter 12 and as as this man disciplines his wife who keeps going with these boyfriends as he disciplines her he is not to say i'm through he may serve divorce papers don't let him think that he's sure through these divorce papers may be just what she needs to bring her to her senses, and he'll take her back with open arms, you'll see. Is there one more?
1: If there's time, we could ask one more.
0: I believe we have a
1: couple minutes still left.
0: We have four minutes, I believe. Well,
1: this one would have to do with the seven secrets then. Uh, Would the seven secrets apply in the, say, rehabilitation of a couple getting back together or
0: a couple who are not really apart? Yes. Yes, there are two phases. The seven secrets are the first phase. So this man who's losing his wife, he must create in her mind the image of a man who who has faith and hope and love, is humble, is not belittling her, you see. And she must capture this image of a man that is so beautiful. Otherwise, when he serves divorce papers, she'd say, well, praise the Lord. I'm glad to get rid of him. So he must Ask the Lord, the great magnet, to make him such a beautiful magnet that his wife will feel she is losing something. If he serves divorce papers on her before he has presented to her the beauty of his new character in Christ, he's playing in the hands of the evil one. So those divorce papers would never be served until he has first shown this beautiful image that she can never forget as long as she lives. Then she realizes the choice that she's making. It's a choice between this beautiful husband and that of someone else. And my friends, it works. But the two phases are very important. That phase of absolutely representing Jesus and all of his beauty, his humility, and then the discipline of love. But during this discipline of love, let me repeat, Jim and audience. Let me repeat, during the discipline of love, don't start dating somebody else. When your wife sees that she, that she has to make a decision, she can't have her cake and eat it too, God can use it to build up your home. I think there are some more questions which we can answer the next time. But shall we now ask the Lord to bless all who have put in these questions and others right. whom they represent? Dear Lord in heaven, you've said in Philippians 2.13, it is God that works in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. We believe that you're doing this. And those in our audience, Lord, who are either perplexed regarding sex infatuation or infatuation with any form of sin, that we can turn to you, and you will build us up and give us the power to will and to do. We believe it and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more.